0: Good afternoon, everyone. This is the DOLW3 podcast. Today is September 27th, and it is uh Wednesday. Wednesday today. And um, anyways, this is our 47th podcast. And we have been reading from the right of sodomy um by Randy Angles. We um today are gonna we are going to read from Randy Angles, but we're gonna take a little bit of time to um, discuss a little bit um the episcopal discipl- disciplinary mis- ministry on errant members of the clergy by o v cruz i don 't think many people realize that there actually is um, a ministry for correcting bishops and priests um, when they do wrong. It used to be much more in history that the lay took a better the laity the laity in the church took a more active role. Um, I'm not sure in history when it all changed, but I do know that there used to be a more active role of laity in the church and, you know, the voting for um, bishops and uh, all those kinds of things that happened. Um, The lay people were very involved. And it's interesting because in the third millennium, which we are in right now, the church in the third millennium is supposed to be evangelizing Asia, and um, the church in Asia. And also, um, it also says in in this doctrine of the church is we are, um, the lady become more active, are to become more active. So with that being said, I want to say that I hope when I read these things from Aunt Randy Angles that I don't push you away and sour you for the church. Um, I'm especially de- speaking to maybe Catholics who are newbies, Catholics who are not real rooted in the faith yet. Um, but you don't always remember that we are all human and our bishops are human. Our priests are human. We are human and we're all sinners. And Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus and God, the father who took care of his people, um, all through the Old Testament, and um, all through, had Jesus was planned. Jesus, um, I have a little thing I'd like to read to you about Jesus. Always was. This is from um, "The True Meaning of Christmas" by Michael Patrick Barber, and it's in his foreword. And I thought it was just a beautiful way to inter- in- to introduce all of this that I'm talking about today. So. Um, Early in the 3rd century, the brilliant catechist, exegete, and apologist Origen of Alexandria wrote one of the most beautiful passages bequeathed to us from patriotic antiquity. Although the original Greek is lost, it still shines out in the Latin translation in which it was preserved. By this slender thread of witness, it has survived to the present day, to awaken anew in every age the ever-living wonder of the Incarnation. Origin first invites us, the reader, to contemplate the majesty of the divine nature of the Word of God. So great is this Word that he is called by Scripture, the image of the invisible God. That's who Jesus is. That was in Colossians 1.15. One, Uh, Chapter 1, verse 15. And it is said that in him were created all things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all were created through him. And that's Colossians 1, verse 16. His nature is nothing else but the primal and ineffable nature of deity. And as though this were going to conclude his contemplation, Origen continues, For it is impossible to put into writing all that belongs to the Savior's glory. But then, having ascended to the summit of contemplation of this glory, we find a new and unexpected vista revealed to our gaze, when therefore we consider these great and marvelous truths about the nature of the Son of God, we are lost in the deepest amazement that such a being, towering high above all, should have emptied himself. Philippians 2.7 Of his majestic condition, and became man, and dwelt among men, no less than the Father himself bears witness in Matthew 3.17, Mark 1.11, and Luke 3.22, And John one thirty four, Confirmed by miracles wrought by the Son and by the Spirit-inspired words of prophet and apostle alike, all recorded in Scripture. Um, I just think that that is a beautiful thing about telling us who Jesus was. And, you know, as majestic as he was, he emptied himself. And I think that's what struck me today when I read that was... uh, how how this image is being distorted by um, the homosexual clergy, the homosexual uh, network in the um, American hierarchy and in the religious orders, um, how that image of Jesus, um, you know, he is the head of our church. He is who we are to uh, be obedient to. He calls us, Jesus calls us, the laity, the clergy, all of us, um, the, um, body of Christ. We are the body of Christ and God, his father, so loved the world that he gave us his son and such that his son died a horrible, terrible, humiliating death. And, uh, so with that, um, I, I, I wanted to, to get that out that, uh, the beauty of our faith, the beauty of the Catholic faith, is we are allowed to question. We are allowed to, um, you know, when we see something going wrong, we say it. Our faith is huge. It's, it's you know, throughout the world. It's everywhere. And um, there are many, many good Christians. There are many, many good priests. Um, but we are talking about this evil that's growing in the church and that if we don't speak up as the lay people and become a voice and in and we can do so in love and i hope i hope that i'm bringing that out because i don't want it to sound like i am um tearing down the church no it's it's the opposite you know this time is the time of truth we can no longer just like in your marriage you cannot, if there's stuff going on and you just keep burying it and burying it and burying it, the problem continues to get bigger, bigger, and bigger. It needs to be exposed. It needs to be addressed. Otherwise, the marriage will fall apart. And that is the same with our church. We have to take a look at what has happened in the church, what is happening, and how can we make it look more like Jesus and and that's why I'm here, and that's why I am doing what I'm doing, is because the Lord has called me to this. And, you know, they often say that, you know, we don't get called to things that we think we should be doing. Um, we get called to what the Lord expects us to do. So the one thing I want you to know is God wants my love. God wants your love. And it's not an artificial love. It is a love like you do for your children, and you are there for them no matter what, or your spouse, or your parents. You are, you know, as they age, you are there because you love them, and you're going through that ugly stuff, and that's what our church is right now. It's our family. Those are my brothers and sisters. When one of my sisters gets hurt and um, thrown out of the family, um, as my friend Heather did and got thrown out of the church, um, And to be a vulnerable adult, um, you know, suffering from mental illness and uh, basically thrown to the lions. There's nothing out there for her had we have not jumped in. And I'm not patting myself on on the back, and I'm not just telling you this to be a broken record. But we need to be a witness to that because how many more Heathers are out there? How many more... Um, future generations, uh, this mental illness, this homelessness on the streets, you know, the drugs that are happening in our society, all this thing that's going on. And if, you know, they come to church and they get kicked out, you know, we are responsible for that. That's our brother. That's our most vulnerable brothers and sisters. And Jesus was compassionate to that. Jesus, the head of our church, the head of the body of Christ, wants that you know when he said follow me he wants us to follow him by example and that i cannot when i see that going on around me when i see that um in my parish when i see that in my diocese when i think of the victims when i think of their souls and what has happened to them poor people um you know it's like um you know, the Holocaust, you can't just let that go when you see a soul that is dying, that has left the church. And um, and where do they turn? So this is what God wants my love, number one. And number two, we can dream about a better tomorrow. So with that, I'm going to start with first reading um, from the scriptures. And I ask the Lord to, to descend upon us right now during these readings and during this podcast and be present with us dear Holy Spirit, and uh, help us to to whatever you want us to say. Please let us know and uh, be with us throughout this readings. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay, this first reading I'm going to do is in Revelation. It's Revelations 2, and it's to Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. Okay, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven gold lampstands say this or says this now just i'm going to break here for a minute for those of you who don't know revelations i'm not real good at revelations but um i find this fascinating that um to the angel of the church in ephesus write this you know this this revelations inspired by god um and The angel is saying, this Holy Spirit is saying, you know, to the person writing this, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks the midst of the seven gold lampstands says this. I know your works, your labor and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate the wicked. You have tested those who call themselves apostles, but are not, and discovered that many are impostors. Moreover you have endurance and have suffered by my name for my name and you have not grown weary yet I hold this against you you have lost the love you had at first realize how far you have fallen repent and do the works you did at first otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent but you have this in your favor. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Who, whoever hears, whoever has ears, ought to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the victor, to the victor. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life that is in the garden of God. I wanted to to read that because you know when you think of uh, when you think of those seven um, I think he called them seven lampstands, the seven lampstands of, um, those are the churches that, that we go through in Revelations. Those are the churches, the seven churches, and the angel of the Lord has something to say to each one of them. And that in the, in the spirit, this, uh, you know, walking through the church and, um, you know, looking and seeing what's going on. You know, I, I picture, you know, you know, we're allowed to do this, you know, they call it Lecto Divina, you know, and God speaks to you. So so I picture this, you know, God looking down right now in these times at our church, and what does he see? And he needs help. You know, when he sees this um homosexual network going on in the church, you know, uh he sees this going on and he calls on people. He taps people. He taps the lay. He taps who. Um, so, you know, when you're in the church and, and something like this happens and you feel like you're being called, um, you know, we're all called. We're all very many members of the body of Christ. Um, we have to do something. Jesus needs our help, and he calls on us for different and specific reasons. So so with that, and you and you see, you know, our Lord looking down from heaven, and seeing these things go on, and he says, you know, and he gives us ways. I think, you know, um, as I get into this next reading here on Oscar Cruz, um, you know, he he was the archbishop in the Philippines. I read uh, The Call of the Laity to you guys, which uh, is another book that is very well written, and and how important it is for the laity to wake up and speak. So with that, uh, I'm going to read the Episcopal Disciplinary Ministry on Errant Members of the Clergy. I'm I'm just going to read, um, actually it's the introduction, uh, the the first couple pages. Um, I have been deeply disturbed by the information which has come to light regarding the abuse of children and vulnerable young people, particularly by priests and religious. I can only share in the dismay and sense of betrayal that many of you have experienced on learning of these sinful and criminal acts and the way the church authorities dealt with them. That's Pope Benedict um, 16. That's the pastoral letter, March 20, 2010. As this little book is being written, it can be said with both shame and sorrow that the Catholic Church founded by the Lord Jesus Christ himself and firmly established in all continents of the globe is undergoing some kind of public crucifixion, basically on account of the grave sexual misconduct of some members of the clergy and the religious in several countries. What in fact makes the scandalous carnal misdeeds much worse is that the competent church authorities did not act on such cases, neither according to the dictates of pastoral prudence, the imperative of justice, not pursuant to the disciplinary norms laid down by church law. So, you know, how do I read that? I read that as, as long as this thing went on, as many years as this was allowed to happen, people seen, people seen and people were silenced. You know, I, you know, you know as you as you have seen when we're reading this book there was a lot of silence going on there was a lot of I better be obedient to my bishop I better you know blah blah and the bishops knew and it was allowed to go on and this is what i'm saying is that this is why Christ wants in this third millennium to have the laity wake up and become more active in the church okay so i mean there's plenty more to read here uh, I will be reading this more later, but I just wanted to touch on that because I think that says so much um, right there. All right, so as we continue on here, we're going to go into Randy Ingalls and continue with her. And uh, and see if you don't see, you know, <laughs> how much silence there is. We are still reading in the Homosexuality in the Religious Orders, and we are on page 961. Sometime later, Bugnolo recalled that he saw a picture of one of the students who exhibited inappropriate same-sex touching at St. Gregory's the weekend of his visit. The young man was now clothed in a cassock, and the caption indicated he had joined the SSJ. Brother Bugnolo brought his concerns to Peter Veer, a canon lawyer, for the diocese of Scranton, and was advised that there was not sufficient evidence to bring the matter to the attention of Bishop Timlin. Brother Bugnolo let the matter drop temporarily. On January twenty seventh, twenty twenty twenty, I'm sorry, two thousand and two, after Roman Catholic faithful broke the story on the SSJ scandal. Bugnalo wrote a detailed letter to the RCF president, Steve Brady, on his experience at St. Gregory's. At the end of the letter, Bugnalo repeated the advice of St. Anthony Marie Claret on action to be taken when a church institution becomes engulfed in moral turpitude of the kind afflicting St. Gregory's Academy. The only morally certain solution to cure such a problem is the disbanding of the faculty and student body and the dismissal of the chaplains and confessors from the duties there. If the Institute is to be reconstituted, this may only be done if there are entirely new faculty, students, and priestly support to do so. This is so because there are many, there are always relationships which will never be discovered, and if these are present in the new foundation, the conspiracy will be renewed. Problems like this can be avoided in good foundations only if confessors and spiritual directors take recidiv- recidivism in matters of the sixth and the ninth commandments seriously and are given our authority to expel candidates that do not have the grace of chastity and continence without human respect. So I'm going to digress here. So when I read this, when I hear this and what it said, for me, it's, for me, I like simplicity. And when he says to go back to the sixth and the ninth commandments, we can all do that. We can all go back to the commandments and we can go, whoa, what is going on here? You know, and, um, you know so i mean it, it's very helpful as a lay person if you just keep it simple you don't have to be a scholar i am certainly not a scholar i am i am just uh anyways i'm very humble uh, to be doing this but um i see that you know you, you have to be keep it simple and be joyful be joyful in that you're doing something for jesus as sad as it is um speaking the truth and helping Jesus in his church, helping the victims of the church, helping um, those who are misbehaving see, you know, see and face the truth that it's not going to be tolerated, um, how much better the church would be. And that is what I'm talking about. Dream about a better tomorrow. Uh, I just feel, um, I feel so much hope and I have so much faith and I so love my Catholic faith. Okay. There were other telltale incidents that should have indicated to anyone with eyes to see that St. Gregory's Academy had been invaded by an an alien moral force in the form of the Society of St. John. And you know, all of us, um, all of us are born and have um, God's imprint. And we have those natural laws within us. You know, we know when things are abominable. The mother of one student learned that a parish priest from her diocese who had been convicted of the homosexual molestation of young boys visited St. Gregory's and engaged her son in a conversation in the hallway. This incident suggests that SSJ may have brought other sexual predators onto the campus. It was also discovered that Headmaster Hicks had allowed boys on the school's hockey team to take a trip to Canada with a man known to Hicks to be both a practicing homosexual and a collector of homosexual pornography. So um, I gotta take a little drink here, guys. Uh... All right. Here we go again. At the end of 1998 and 99, Term when the SSJ priest left St. Gregory's close relationship with the students at St. Gregory's in a December tenth two 2002 affidavit of Mr. Joseph Simbar- Simbra in the John Doe case. The former postulant of the society says that in the late spring or early summer of 2000, a group of young men from St. Gregory's Academy camped out on the SSJ property. Father, you're Yurta Goyeti spent the night at the campsite and told Skimbera that he had shared a sleeping bag with one of the young men. Skimbera himself witnessed the priest serving alcohol to underage boys, one of whom stumbled out of Yuragordi's bedroom in a severe state of intoxication. He, had, he, he said he also saw boys leaving the priest's bedroom in their underwear, some of whom said that they had slept in the same bed with the priest. Another former SSJ novice who signed an affidavit but did not want to be identified publicly by name said that when he was living at St. Joseph's House, used by the SSJ to to house postulants and novices, the overcrowding in the bathroom facilities made it difficult for him to shower after running. When Father Yogorty heard of the young man's problem, he invited him to use his shower and bathroom facilities at Drummond House. On each and every occasion the uh, the novice took advantage of Yurgorti's offer. He said that the priest would appear naked from the bathroom, dressed only in his scapular, and shave while the young man took his shower and dressed. Although Yurgorti never approached the young man in an overtly sexual manner, it is clear that his exhibitionist posture before a novice under his spiritual care was a form of homosexual grooming. Happily, The novice did not wait to find out. He left the SSJ in mid-January 2001 without completing his Navitate. So there you go. You know, look what that did. And probably scarred for life. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, so, but I have hope. And I believe um, that God has called us to do this. And as frustrating as that is when I read that. And that's the mother in me that's coming out. I think of my boy's. I think of young men, um, that parents have prepared for this and send them to this kind of thing. And then this kind of thing happened, you know, uh, and, and all the, the times that, um, it could have been uncovered, but it was not, it was, you know, not forcefully uncovered. And, um, this is, this is why, you know, I'm so glad to be part of this. This is why, um, I think this voice needs to be heard. I think we should never forget just like, um, just like in Vimy Ridge or in um, the Holocaust, these things should not be ever forgotten because if we let that guard down, um, Satan is Satan and he is there and he is in the church. And just like anywhere, you know, get into the inside. That's that's what, pe- that's what evil does. It gets into the inside and it grows. And so um, that's why it's so important for us insiders to pay attention. In a September 2002 affidavit written from Balbonne, France, Mr. Joseph Grind, a former teacher of Gregorian chant for the SSJ, stated that when he was going through a period of depression, Father Yegority referred him to Mr. Walton Walter Bond, a fellow musician and psychotherapist for therapy and spiritual direction. In his first session with Bond on finding finding oneself, Girard was told that homosexuality was genetic, and therefore a permanent state that admitted of no modification. Bonn also told Gerard that that he, Bonn, was gay. In a later conversation with Gerard, Father Yagorty took the same position on homosexuality that Bonn had used with Gerard, that gayness was a genetic condition. Another SSJ priest, Father Fullerton, is on record as having told a, a SSJ seminarian that it was noble for a homosexual to become a priest, no doubt that these gay myths were foisted upon unsuspecting students at the academy by SSJ priests in the form of a classroom instruction on sexuality morality sexual morality and in spiritual direction given individually and in the confessional by Father Yogorty and his clerical and lay disciples. Fred Fraser at St Gregory's grad grad. At St. Gregory's, graduate and later dorm father, who admitted sleeping with Yagorty, defended his bed sharing by citing Plato's Symposium and Fedor Dostoevsky's brothers Karamazov. On November 10, 2002, Mr. Conal Tanner, a graduate of St. Gregory's, and a form, former dorm father, informed Bishop Timlin that he knew for a fact that Father Yogorty slept with the boys in the same bed, and that other members of the Society of St. John were aware of their superiors' actions. This is what I'm talking about, folks. This is what God wants, is, um, you know, for us to open our eyes for people around to, when, when you know, something doesn't seem right, when you're getting this kind of, you know, talk um, back to you, you know, you have to... um. Go higher, go higher up. Write to write, write to the Pope. Tell him what's going on. You know, be a voice. And that's what I think we're trying to teach here: is that um, you might have to knock on more than one door, and it may not be easy. On November tenth, two thousand and two, uh, Mister Conal Tanner, a graduate of Saint. Oh, wait a minute. I've already read that. Okay, here we go. Tanner's statement to Timlin was also confirmed in an affidavit by Diane Toller of Cherry Hill, New Jersey, who stated that Father Dominic Carey, SSJ's head fundraiser, told her that it was no secret that Father Yogorji slept with young boys and young men on a regular basis. Father Carey defended the practice stating that for, for two men to sleep together was not an occasion of sin, since there is no natural attraction between men. We're going to end here on page 963. So, you know, as we carry on with this, you know, and we're talking about, you know, the homosexuality in the religious orders and uh, how we, um, there needs to be more eyes. There needs to be eyes on these things. There needs to be um, accountability. Accountability. Um, I mean, there's just so many things that we see and that the ongoing situation is something that um, is deplorable that we need to um, help Jesus and be a voice for him. You know, contact your bishops. Find out why uh, Randy Engel's books are not in the seminaries um, as a class. Um make it make it a class make these things well aware uh you also- i also think of um what happened to men who um were good men and they were told that you know we you're you're not fit to be a priest or you're not you know we don't think it's right you know and if there were homosexual bishops and things at at that time in that line uh How many good priests were turned away? Just like that young Navate um, who left because he just couldn't stand what he saw, you know. Um, So truth is uh, difficult to uncover, but the more we are truthful and the more that we look at things and uh, look within ourselves and uh, look at even why why do we want to be silent? What is the reason I want to be silent, you know? Well, so I'll be a good girl and look good in the church when I sit in the pew? You know, am I going to look like a troublemaker? You know, there are so many fears in that. But you know, if if we write our bishops, if we write the pope, that we we demand to be a part of what's going on, you know, and maybe have some say of what is taught in the seminary, you know, especially in the light of these scandals that have gone on for so many years. And um, and in my I just want to say, how dare they? How dare they? Not have this. 17-year research um, on homosexuality. Very fine journalism here. Um, How come it's not being taught in the seminaries? So with that, uh, I want to leave on a good note. Um, What I want to say is, number one, God wants our love. And we can and do dream about a better tomorrow. That the church is suffering right now. The church is the body of christ and in the body of christ there are the wounds that he was nailed to the cross and his hands and his feet um, all of those the wound in his side you know we are part of those wounds and as these wounds are here we have to figure out how to move forward and uh, how to make that church better because uh Well, there's no because you you know why it's you know Jesus wants His church um, to be holy, and He wants us, and I think the best gift that we can give to the church, which the church is always going to be, and I hope I've made that clear, the church is always going to be, it's never going to go away, because God is faithful to His people, like in the first testament, the Old Testament. Um, with Moses and saving the people and all that they went through. Look at all the corruption there. You know, um, there's good, there's bad, but it's always moving forward. Jesus was always going to be. God is still governing his people, watching out for them and protecting them. So he is always with us. And that is always our hope. And um, the more we pray, the more we look to God, the more we become an active lay person, the more truth that will come out, and the and the church will heal. And um, as it has always in all generations, you know, become holy. Become the best that you can be for the love of God. And we'll say a quick prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to use our voice. Thank you for um, any and all of the readings, Lord, that you bring to me and ask me to speak for uh, in these readings. Lord, um, and all the people that are working diligently in these podcasts, in writing their bishops, um, and for the bishops to to wake up, to really listen to the laity. When you have meetings, bishops, when you have meetings, include the laity, not the ones that sit and have lunch with you every day, but include the lady, laity when they raise their hand and they have questions. Don't come there with a certain amount of that you want to tell people and say, this is our little program. No, get some honest and true feedback of what your lay people in the church are saying. So with that, we say, glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Joseph, protect us. Mother Mary, uh, watch over us and always point us to Jesus. And Jesus in the holy, sacred heart, bless us and watch over us. Amen.